starting our, uh, our podcast today and to cover topics that would help our community. Our goal here is to build a platform that allows overlooked founders to get visibility and for them to be able to share their ideas and build their, their startup. And in doing so, Alec has been with us. You were the first person that actually got us started when we started meeting up with mentors. And also you are the first person to um, get us started with our podcast and been really gracious with your time and your knowledge and your feedback. Give us a lot of good ideas of how to get started. So thank you for that. Yes. I, I, hey, I appreciate it. It means it's time to me to, to, to be helpful. So yes, with that note, we would like you to share a little bit about your background, what you are interested in, and uh, we can go, go from there. Yeah, you bet. So it's nice to be here and I appreciate it, obviously, in the kind words. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief because I'll encourage people to check out my LinkedIn, my Twitter, microessays, newsletter, everything's out there, right? But as it relates to my background, what I think might be especially interesting in this community is uh, I am not an engineer. Uh, I did not study computer science. I actually studied finance and philosophy, classics, if we want to be specific, which eventually led me to being very, very deeply passionate about AI and, 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 and product. And that passion turned into a, a much deeper and more sustainable curiosity. Where that started to happen actually was when I was a management consultant and later the vice president of sales and marketing for what are now the LA Rams of the NFL. We were asked uh, as a collective, the leadership group for the club, both the football side and the business side, to evaluate some technology as we were kind of improving the business, et cetera. And this was back when, this is a long time ago, this is like 07-ish. And I had no idea what software, SaaS, any of these terms that we all you know take for granted now. But I was the youngest guy in the room. And so I was asked to evaluate this stuff. And of course, when you're the youngest person in the room, you, you take on stuff like this that perhaps other people were a little less interested in because they have other priorities. And I did, and it was like a lightning bolt that just struck me. And from that moment on, which I guess is coming up on in the 15 to 16 year range, I'm a self deeply curious, uh, I guess somewhat non-technical AI subject matter expert, whatever that means, right? You can read my newsletter, you can read my essays to, to see how much expertise is there. Um, but I can tell you that there isn't a topic within the context of artificial intelligence that doesn't get me super dialed in and excited, whether it's a 300 page schematic to read, whether it's the great AI reskilling this morning that I read, um, Harvard Business Review and a number of different interesting articles in there, including citizen developers and what that's gonna do to increase the pace of innovation within companies of all different shapes and sizes. That's who I am. I work at a company called Live Person, which pioneered and essentially patented the first chatbot a long time ago. Now it's a complete kind of more or less an early adopter and, and investor in, in generative AI. So it's conversational AI, which kind of precursor. And we enable through uh, an AI platform, companies of all different you know shapes and sizes, big companies, mid-sized companies to use artificial intelligence to create killer customer experiences that drive business objectives. So um, in-app, on web, you name it. Right? Um, but that's kind of the background. And obviously I've been deeply invested in AI for a long time and, and active in various spaces beyond that. While you were talking, one thing that stood out to me was taking chances, right? You were in the room, the youngest person in the room, and they put this opportunity in front of you. A lot of people will shy away from it. And so that is something that is really interesting, especially for founders. Founders are naturally curious, right? And so yeah. tell me about how does curiosity come into play as a founder? How, how do you stay curious and what does that look like? 
I don't, that's a fantastic question. I'm not really sure how much of it is versus nature. I, I mean, as you ask that question, I think about college, right? And, and when I was at school, I studied finance because my dad was on Wall Street and I just, I wasn't excited about it per se. I was like, oh, well, I'll just study finance because it gives you a lot of options. And it's good to understand the foundation of, of capitalism, essentially. So that was cool. But what happened was uh, my curiosity, <laughs> well, it's actually procrastination, but we had something at USC, uh, by the way, the USC, uh, not South Carolina, Southern California. Just yeah, yeah. fight on for anybody in this community that's that's from there. <laughs> conscious about how loyal we are to our, our football team and, and our alumni. It's a great school. But anyway, I, we had something called general education requirements. And what that basically meant is a certain number of categories of curriculum. And so, of course, I procrastinated, which I shouldn't have, um, on a certain category. And eventually there was this one class that was available and it was allegedly, it wasn't the most enjoyable class, but it happened to be in classics, which is a subset of philosophy. And I went in that room and Professor Habeneck, um, God rest his soul, he passed recently, opened up my eyes massively to the Socratic method and philosophy in general, which eventually led to me convincing him that I really wanted to be in the class, even though it was oversubscribed, not to fill a general education requirement, but because I was deeply interested and curious about this Socrates dude, which eventually turned into a, a couple independent studies with him, and it was incredible, right? So that curiosity eventually came back around because that's what drives my motivation around product and AI and, and just the curiosity to follow that and to follow it to its natural kind of evolution within the context of whatever business you're in. And so if you look at my background, there have been a number of different steps I've taken, which ultimately led to getting very lucky around ChatGPT and the launch and generative AI. But I have that cross-functional background because I've been following my curiosity as it relates to that deep interest in deep technology, cognitive technology, product, and how it can help businesses create a relationship between human beings and machines, right? That's, that's extremely positive, not Antagony. We were talking to uh, one thing that stood out is this whole idea about prioritization, right? So you have this curiosity and as a founder, you have to stay curious, but at the same time, you also have to deliver and yeah. prioritize and maintain these KPIs. And so while staying curious, how, how do you balance between staying curious at the same time, prioritizing the things that you need to do to build your business? And I love the question and I'm on, and to be very honest with you, I was not good at that before. And I eventually realized that, right? That was a, a gap for me, but I learned to, to embrace keeping the main thing, the main thing, right? Mm. I, I learned to just stack rank things and become habitual around stack ranking within business, right? And you start to think about levers and have that kind of orientation, but I wasn't necessarily as good in the beginning as I should have been in, in prioritization for sure. I probably was a little bit more on that passion side than the curiosity side. And I was following more a little bit of the, the hybrid there. Whereas when you follow your curiosity and you constantly ask those Socratic method type questions of why, 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 why are we doing this versus all these other things, you start to realize that whenever you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to everything else. Right? right. And as long as you just kind of think about that every time, it makes it easier. Right. Cause I just, you just inherently should say no, right. No. And, and open up your calendar. Right. You don't need to fill all those gaps, but you just want to figure out whether you're running a 10 person business, a two person business, a, 
you know, 10,000-person business, what's driving the 80-20 rule, right? The mm. principle, right? Typically, 20% of the efforts drive 80-plus percent of the outputs. And so one of the reasons why prioritization is so important, and as well as artificial intelligence and where we're going with these cognitive technologies and generative AI and machine learning, is that I, I think it's fair to say that, that we as business people and founders and other, all the collective, you might be able to figure out ways to exponentially impact a dimension of the 20% and think about the implications of that in relation to the outputs. And so now's the time to be really thoughtful as a founder to, to prioritize and stack rank. And then the, the habit becomes, it, it just becomes the, your, your, your MO. Like for me, I, I now, the way I do what I do now in terms of prioritization, stack ranking, I like even when I was traveling, I just came back from a trip and I get out of my kind of routine and my, my habits and it's not comfortable. What are the metrics that you are putting in place to making sure that these things are actually delivering on what you are prioritizing? Yeah. Another great question. So it's all about leading versus lagging indicators, right? Mm -hmm. Outcomes versus activity. We, we, again, stuff I wish I would have learned sooner as opposed to all the scar tissue I have that, that I've developed by not doing the right thing in those areas. But so basically what you kind of think about are, and you can talk about OKRs, for example, objective key results and all this good stuff. You want to always think about creating space to really step back 20 minutes, an hour on a Sunday, whatever the case may be, and really look at what's really, what does success look like, right? When you, you and I chatted just before this, right? The question was, hey, Give me like the top two personas, right, uh, that could potentially benefit from this this podcast. And right. the reason is because I can't help myself. I always just think about top two, top three, because I just want to I want to serve that audience, right? I want to give them as much as I can. Now, if you said it was like Fortune 100 executive suite leaders, I would probably be talking about some different things, right? Just right. because of the nature of the game. But you just really want to think about what are the outcomes that you really want to generate as measured by quantitative and qualitative descriptions. So something you can write down. So in 30 days time, I'd love for this podcast to affect a thousand people, right? Mm -hmm. That would be awesome. So the only way I'm going to do that is if I understand who those people might be, right? And therefore put myself in their shoes. And so then you start thinking about leading versus lagging indicators, right? So the leading indicator is kind of I'm a big process guy, not in a negative way, but I, I believe that the score takes care of itself and all these, a lot of stoicism stuff. But basically, if you commit yourself to figuring out what is the, the thing or the things that I can do every day that I, I'm 95% I'm confident if I do that really well, I will get to the outcome. And then there's things that get in the way of that, but the controlling the controllables, like that word's a tough word, but I can't think of anything better than that. But you, I think you really want to focus on reflecting on your business and being intellectually honest about what is success mm. and just be brutally honest about that and then back into what drives that success and how do I do more of that? I'll keep the main thing, the main thing and less of the other things, but you have to be ruthless with your time and your focus, right? So it's really important to say no a lot. Um, and that's not easy, especially for a curious, creative founder who's got all these ideas, right? And that's where you want to go to curiosity, not passion, because passion can distract you. you exactly. Know? Curiosity and, dialed in. That really is a great segue to the next question, which is while staying curious and um, having this um, leading lagging in indicators, one of the things that comes up, especially as a first-time founder, is 
and you you said it perfectly, which is like saying no to yeah. a lot of things. And so that boils down to this question of niching down, right? Because yeah. when you start, you have a lot of ideas. How do you sort of like niche down into this domain? This is the target demographic. This is who I'm going to serve. And I'm not going to serve X, Y, Z people, right? I'm going to serve this type of people. How do you decide on niching down and figuring out the target demographic and um, who, who you should serve and who you should not serve? Painkillers versus vitamins, mm. right? So if I'm in the business of, I've got a, you know, a, a retail storefront, right? I want to be in the business of ideally addressing pain, right? Mm. I, I don't necessarily want to be in the business of addressing vitamins, right? And the reason for that is if I have a broken arm, I can assure you that that problem space is going to be addressed, right? Mm. I need painkillers. I've got pain. And if I think I might want to optimize my health to a dimension and I heard these vitamins might be good, they might not be good. Who knows? Somebody that I know said good things about it. Maybe I'll buy them, maybe I won't. But that's not, that's a nice to have, right? So I think what you really want to be focused on is how do you identify and address pain points that are very meaningful to the audience that you're serving. So in another way, which is just jobs to be done framework. So stack ranking the jobs to be done. Another way to view that is opportunity space, right? Depending upon whose product design and in and, and, and architecture and strategy philosophy and leadership you buy into. But the bottom line is we all have different needs versus wants. But if you think about your business within the context of your core persona and customer and or prospective customer, where is it that you can add the most value in the most differentiated way possible? At the end of the day, if the, the best way to, to, to judge the performance of a business is will someone pay for what it is that you're offering, which gets into another conversation, which is how much should you be investing in solving for the building of the asset, right? The business to solve for that pain point or jobs to be done or opportunity space versus the acquisition, right? The, the, the acquisition of the, of the attention and or interest of the consumer or the customer, because without you know, foot traffic, you can't sell painkillers, but without painkillers, you can have all the foot traffic in the world and it's not gonna work out. It's a leaky bucket, it's not sustainable. So a lot of art and science in that, which is why entrepreneurs love you know, these complex problems. But yeah, pain, 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 just start. I love that. I love saying, I love the whole idea about pain um, painkillers versus vitamins, because that is such a powerful imagery. Because when you think about the problem that you're trying to solve as a founder, if this is a painkiller, it, it really gets to the core of the, of the message. And I feel like another point that would be important to, to mention and talk about for early stage founders is there's a lot of times when people will have to pivot because they're realizing like, oh, well, now I have something else than a painkiller. Like I, I realize I'm just doing a vitamin and I don't want to do that. But what would you, the, you mentioned about 80-20, you mentioned about painkiller versus uh, vitamins. What do you think would lead a person to pivot their idea successfully? Like what kind of strategy would you think uh, would be needed to be employed in order to, okay, like we had this idea, now let's pivot this way. Is there a specific strategy that you've seen in the past that has worked for you? How do you weigh in the pros and cons? Well, what is the strategy that you think would be effective? I think that is one of the hardest dimensions of business, especially a business that you're trying to innovate in a way that's highly differentiated. In a more traditional business, I, I don't think that 
it's as complex, right? Because an example would be you could, if you had a deli, a, a sandwich shop, right? You, I'm a big deli guy. So if I find a deli and I like what I get there, like I am so loyal and I will go and I'll go. Now, could they throw up like two, three new sandwiches and be like, hey, Coughlin, you want to try the whatever, number 13 or number 12 or number 14? And I'm like, yeah, not really. I like what I, what you guys do with number yeah. seven. That's it. I'm good. Right. How much exposure they have to acquiring the assets to make that, those three sandwiches and so on and so forth. That's the risk, right? So I think I would always start with what does the catastrophic risk equation look like? What's the mm -hmm. worst thing that can happen? as I start and grow this business. And then once I find some stability and some sustainability, if I'm going to take a calculated risk, right, by extending my menu a bit um, or whatever the equivalent is and whatever business we're talking about, then you wanna ask yourself a couple questions, right? One, what's the resource allocation that I have to move from my core, right, that's working well to something else? And or what's the capital allocation, right? How much capital am I putting at risk? Can I take a, a complete hit on that? And if you can, great, go for it. But at some point, you have to just kind of develop some sort of a hypothesis and say, I'm going to do this for X period of time. And success is defined as you have to have something reasonable, right? What's, what's reasonable versus a stretch goal, right? Or maybe two. And right. You really want to make sure when you commit to something, you give it everything you got, right? Because otherwise it could be a false negative or, or it could be a false positive for an effort reason as well. But if it's a false negative, you didn't give it a chance, right? And this goes back to saying no. So if you're going to take some sort of a calculated risk, do that. But knowing when and where to pivot. Now, if you have to pivot on your core business, that's a, that's a very different equation, right? Because that's an existential question, which fundamentally is the same, but... Maybe you shouldn't have started the business if you right. want to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I feel like some of the some of the founders early in their early in the stage of building their business or acting on their ideas, they hear a lot of feedback, and a tremendous amount of feedback is great. But it's do you see the feedback as a good thing or a bad thing to a certain extent? Like some people have gone with their ideas and they're like, no, this is what I'm doing, and it worked in the end, but uh, they had many trials and tribulations along the way where on the other side, some people have taken the feed feedback, modified their course of action, and then ended up being successful that way. What uh, what percentage, I'd say, like if we talk about the Pareto principle, 80-20, what do you attribute feedback as being? So there's so much variability to this answer, so I'm going to give it a little context. Some founders, they start companies because they want to solve their own problem, which I love when they do that, Right. Um, and the reason I love that is because who's better than you to solve your own problem, right? Now, doesn't mean that you have to solve your own problem. Like if I started a deli, I think my deli would be pretty good. I like deli sandwiches. I always have. <laughs> yeah, really, like I, I know sandwiches, right? Like it looks like, but am I going to compete with someone who's classically trained from a culinary institute, et cetera? Probably not. But therefore, maybe I would go one click down, right? I would have a, a, a more pedestrian deli for everybody. Whereas that person would do a higher end deli and I can't, I can't touch that. But if you're an entrepreneur that's starting something that you have a little bit less of, of, of clarity, if you will, on, on the problem, because you're not necessarily solving your own problem, you need to be very, very, very honest with yourself about how much of a learning curve do you have and what, is the, what are you doing to flatten it out and de-risk it? Because it's an expensive learning curve, right? It can be a really expensive learning curve. And I think it also comes back to keep hearing me say the same stuff over and over is intellectual honesty, 
right? Be really honest with yourself. What problem are you solving or what opportunity space are you capitalizing on? How well do you understand it? How committed are you to self-education? The beautiful part about the world we're in now, whether it's Twitter, podcasts, research reports, YouTube video, you name it, this podcast, there's so much knowledge and information available to help you flatten out your learning curve and or refine and optimize whatever word you want to throw in there. But that kind of will tell you as a leading indicator, how committed are you? Are you really working hard and smart? Are you saying no so you can study? Are you saying no so you can develop an experiment and test it? Or are you maybe excited about the idea of being an entrepreneur and the independence? Nothing wrong with that. It's a great thing. But be careful because you're going to compete with somebody that is deeply curious about the space mm -hmm. and super committed. And right. they're going to eat your lunch. Literally. That's it. Yeah, right. This, this whole balance between fear versus staying curious. Right. So how do you balance staying, being curious, but at the same time, having the, the discipline pushed through? I mean, it's a great question as well. And I think, I hope your podcast, I'm sure it will be very helpful to these folks. Maybe this episode and others I'm sure will be, you, you, you have to think about some pretty philosophical questions, right? What do I know that I know versus what don't I know? I think having mentors, having uh, like-minded people that you can network with that can help you see around some corners. You have to be fully committed to your own self-education. You got to have some extreme ownership. You got to really just take responsibility as much as you can on, on all fronts. But generally speaking, AI, I think as, as we chatted about just before jumping on the, the podcast here is I think you want to be super careful about what sources you're using to learn, right? So the traditional established media model is optimizing for engagement. So whether that's telling this dimension of the AI story, which might accentuate all of the positives and all of the upside. And then three months later, doing the exact opposite because people are worn out with hearing about all the wonderful, amazing stuff that AI can do. Now they're gonna just overemphasize the, the downside and the sky's falling and all this negativity. One of the beautiful parts about where we are now with Twitter and LinkedIn and podcasts and all these other things that are decentralized, you can actually consume direct from the most prolific doers, thinkers, investors, leaders that really know this stuff. And you don't have to have an intermediary curating it or filtering it for you. You can come to your own conclusion. How much time you spend doing that, I don't know, right? That you gotta be careful because you gotta run your business and grow your business and all these things. But what I would say for anybody that's listening to this, whether you have a two person business, a 20 person business or maybe some folks listening to this that are north of that, there is absolutely unequivocally no doubt that what we're experiencing today and will for the next 20 years is as significant as anything we've seen in the digital and technological space in the last kind of 20, 30, 40 years, right? So think of the world before search, right? Before you can just like jump on Google, like imagine that, right? Yeah, we remember that, some of us, myself for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was a crazy world, right? Like it's I had a library. More or less, the world's information is available through this little box and you plug it in your, your question and boom, 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 boom. So the world before that versus after that, think of how much that, that jump is. And now go forward, the jump is gonna be likely even bigger than the jump of that I just described. And so that's why it's a horizontal general purpose technology, right? This, all this stuff. And so you just wanna be open to it learn, make it a priority and allocate some time to it, right? Regularly, not just like jump in, jump out. 
it's got to be part of your, your, if you will. And one thing you said that I really love, um, and which we are doing ourselves is finding mentors, building this ecosystem, because a business is a, is a community of people, right? And so how do you decide who to reach out to? How do you decide who should be your mentor? And how do you evaluate if you should even reach out to someone? I think at this point, we're all very lucky in that just like we're on this podcast right now, you can, anyone in the world can create, whether it's micro essays, curating content on LinkedIn, as well as the micro essays and Twitter, what have you, but just putting content out into the world and developing a, a digital community because it scales infinitely more than one-to-one than -one in, the, in the real world. And you can kind of start there right? And then start building that digital community. And from there, I think you'll kind of create your own luck where you'll then start to build additional one-to-one -one or one-to-few kind of digital communities that eventually translate to the real world. I think it's really important to have a diverse set of, of mentors throughout various stages of, of your career and your life. You really want to make sure that you don't want a lot of people around you that constantly tell you, yes, you're so smart, you you're, you got this, right? You want people around you that hopefully have, have, have done some things ahead of you, right? And learn from their mistakes by touching the oven and burning their hand and that they care about you and they'll always give you the straight scoop, right? So they can call you out when you're maybe a little bit too passionate and ping-ponging around versus dialing in that curiosity, narrowing the focus, so I think it's really important to have a diverse set of, of, of mentors. I also think it's really important to mentor and advise others, because if you think something, right, if you really think, what, trying to teach somebody, right? The, the second you guys teach somebody, you realize just how big the gaps are in your knowledge base. You say a lot of, and it's, it's like, no, I thought I knew this, but I don't, right? Which is also why you build in public, because it's terrifying, but it, it's a forcing mechanism, because if you put stuff out there that's not valuable, you're obviously not going to build community around it because people don't find it valuable. You mentioned building in public, and I think that's been, that's been a very intriguing uh, concept before, but since we started building in public, since you're, you actually told us to, to explore the opportunity and we dive, dove into it right away, it seems scarier than it actually is. And we've gotten a lot of feedback and we're able to reach an audience of that you, we would have not otherwise reach out to just because they're seeing, oh, these guys are building something. What is this? Can I get in their loop as well? Can I help them wherever they are? And it, it's, it builds more synergy that way. And I think that the synergy is, is what we got from it. What, how did you first hear about it? And, and can we talk about it a little bit building in public and what does that represent for a founder that is, is in our transparency early on, it, it, it builds a, we hear about uh, B corporations, that transparency that that clarity of where we're going, what we're doing, but also the openness of sharing it out to everybody that is also building to be able to inspire. I think for us, it was important when we realized the opportunity to become mentors in our own rights as we're building and iterating our first portion of the business, right? And that was, that was very meaningful. So, I mean, if there's anything that you'd like to share why people should do this and what's the best way to do it. I mean, for us, it worked. And yeah, I mean, I, I love hearing that. And, and by the way, that's a, a fantastic outcome slash leading indicator, right? When you build in public and proactively that happens, you're nailing it, right? And, and do more of that, obviously. Yeah, so for me, if you look back at, at for those that, that jump onto my Twitter, LinkedIn and what have you, you'll see that like, again, I think seven, eight years ago, even actually maybe a little bit longer than that. But yeah, seven, eight years ago, I just, I don't know, I, I guess in part, 
I just was doing a lot of, of thinking about digital transformation 1.0, which was again, the kind of precursor for all the AI stuff. So robotic process automation, my eyes were getting opened up to this. I happened to be one of the world's largest and, and I like to think best um, technology slash management consultancies, a big group called Publicis Sapiens to end rock stars and geniuses doing kind of everything for the biggest companies in the world around replatforming and technology to building actual product and everything in between, right? And so it literally was drinking from the fire hose. But what I realized is that I had access to so much knowledge and so much talent that what was really fun for me is to try to synthesize that into something that others could benefit from within my network. And I happen to have a pretty broad network because I was early on LinkedIn and, and I connect with everybody I meet and so on and so forth. And so I thought, well, wouldn't this be interesting is I'll just start sharing my knowledge and see if people think it's interesting, right? So I started writing these micro essays. They're pretty long on what I would say is that that I was following, again, my curiosity and from the very beginning with these kind of decentralized media platforms, starting with LinkedIn and then Twitter and some other places, that you have so much more scalability as it relates to your ability to build community and network and, and, and add value to a community when you just keep doing it again and again, right? And you start creating your own luck. It also has a, it's a forcing mechanism. So I, I shared with you guys that kind of Figma created uh, visual and it would only allow me to use three, about 300 words, which was brutal, right? So I would, uh, it, but it was, it forced me to understand the essence of very complex topics because you only had this little itty bitty like post-it note for a, for a framework for a, a, a micro essay. And so I started to really enjoy it again, going back to curiosity because it forced me to learn so much more and more deeply because again, if you're putting stuff out that's only 300 words, it better be high impact, right? I call it the reverse, the upside down birthday cake. You eat a birthday cake and like you get to the bottom and it's like the crunchies, they're so good, right? You got to flip that, right? Because otherwise yeah, no yeah. one's going to read your, your birthday cake and then get to like, this guy's too verbose, right? So I went down that path. And then of course, I launched my AI with Alec newsletter recently. And I just put my head down and, and committed myself to not promoting it at all. Just, you know, I wanted to get to a thousand subscribers, right? Because if you have a thousand real fans, really interesting things can happen. And so now I'm launching a podcast on the back of it because I hit my thousand and uh, not to promote my stuff here, but I, I think that's another thing for folks to think about, right? Is like invest in your craft. Don't worry so much about the acquisition side of things, because if you're creating stuff that's really good, people will find you, right? And, 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 and then you can really light it up. Right. So like launching the podcast, we're going to, then we're going to start to promote because I've got a thousand plus subscribers now. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just simply saying that is like, you got to have milestones and got to celebrate them, but just do the work and, and, and you got to have the compound returns. Can't just come and go with it. Like it's got to be something you're committed to, which is why you got to say no a lot and say yes to the things that, that are important and then just commit. And it makes it, it helps because it gets, it impacts everything I do, including work with my awesome clients because they're like, well, where'd you hear about that? I was like, well, actually this really long report that I read because I'm a nerd and that's when <laughs> well, I'm watching football, you know, and they're like, can you send me that? And I'm like, sure. So that's how it works. Well, yeah, bring the most amount of values around the topic that you're really curious about and, and share it. And I, I think that's, that was a, a big eye opener for us too. When we started sharing online is it holds you accountable to keep being more curious because people will demand from you and 
That like, what else you got? <laughs> exactly, exactly. They demand more. The mission and the vision remains the same. It's just now people are pushing you through the boundaries of what kind of what you said earlier to what you don't know until you push yourself out there and then people give you feedback. So to go back to the feedback. And, and one thing I just want to make sure not to jump in there, but I want to make sure that folks hear it because I've said it, but I want to say it in a very direct way. Do not underestimate the power of Twitter. And I, you do not need to tweet. You don't need to, or I guess it's called X. I don't know. I can't really call it. Don't, don't worry about tweeting and, and it just, there are extraordinarily talented people putting content out that they should be charging of dollars a day. But it's this incredible environment to just learn so fast. You can create lists and follow people and track. And then you complement that with the podcast, right? Where these folks are, are interviewed and it's just talk about pure signal, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that to me is the best use of time is just go direct and, and learn from the best and they're doing it for free. It's crazy. And maybe you, you subscribe to somebody's newsletter or what have you, but yeah, don't worry about tweeting, just get on Twitter establish a profile, follow people, create lists. And it's just unbelievable what is available. I, I, it's unbelievable. I can't say enough about it. That's great. Particular people that we should follow if they're just starting off. Oh man, I knew you were going to ask it. I, I, as I said, I was like, I know you. Know, so, so shout out Elon Musk. I hope he hears this. I wish there was an easier, better way to be able to answer that question digitally. Right. I should be able to like, I have all these lists and, and, and airing my dirty laundry, right? They're not cleaned up as much as they are. They should be right. So the most important list surprise is my AI list, right? So that's the one list that's very tight. So anytime I come across someone that's doing great things in the AI space, whether it's super obvious or, or less obvious, uh, I just, I automatically put them in that, that list. So that list I will share with you guys after the, the, the chat. So make sure that you have that. So anybody that, and that, that's appropriate for anyone and in, in, in any capacity. I think for this audience in particular, there's a guy named Ethan Mollick that I think is really important for folks to follow. Ethan Mollick is a non-technical leader in this space. He's a University of Pennsylvania, UPenn professor. And just not my words, Reed Hoffman said he might, he being Ethan, might have the most valuable Twitter handle within the AI world because of the, the quality of what he puts out and the consistency. It's unbelievable. And because he's non-technical, I think he's really especially interesting for the audience that we talked about previously, because if you follow some of the technical people I follow, it's just like, are you like, what in the world is this? Right? <laughs> like, that's not, yeah, don't, don't waste your time there. Inflection, just all sorts of stuff. And then I would definitely be looking at the big leaders of the big LLM, generative AI, you want to obviously look at Aiden Gomez, um, of course, Sam Altman and, and his team at OpenAI all do very well on, on, on Twitter in particular. Cohere, Anthropic, the list goes on. Um, but again, that can get a little bit technical. So Ethan would be the one guy that I would say, hey, everyone on this, just follow him, right? Just start with that. And you'll find a wealth of, of knowledge in the AI space that does not require technical understanding in any capacity. Not that there, I mean, he does put stuff out that's quite technical, but I think it's a very good job of, of helping non-technical people understand things about AI that, that are helpful. And, and so why, I, I want to bring it back to one of the things that you said earlier, while we we're talking about community and building your presence, these like sort of partnership, how do you identify the right partner as an early stage founder 
Um, how do you evaluate who should be that partner that you should partner with, whether it's a big company or a small company? That's a great question as well. That's a tough one to answer, right? Without boring you guys to death with clarifying questions. But that being said, I'll just stick to my my same old mental models and frameworks, right? So start with intellectual honesty, right? Mm-hmm. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? Put it on the table, right? If someone balks at that, that means they're either not necessarily real or they have some maybe other motivations, right? Which good, clarify that up front, right? Learn. But I think, you know, mutually beneficial partnerships are the best as well as those that you feel as confident as you can that you're, you're both playing the same game, meaning the long game, right? Short game is fine for transactional stuff that exists in the world and, and it's important. But I think when it comes to a true partnership, you think a lot about the longest of long game. And that's that's a good place to kind of start. So intellectual honesty about the two of you or however many entities involved, being very clear about how everyone benefits and where the intersection of those benefits are versus you know the areas outside. And then how long do you think the game is with this entity or this person? And when you start there, you probably will make some pretty good decisions, but there's more to that. But I would say those two things in particular. What do you think when uh, a relationship, be a mentorship relationship or partnership, or what do you think from your experience, what you've seen is the most important facet of the relationship? Is it communication? Is it accountability of one another? Is it, you know, taking the time to really, I mean, I I don't know, like, is it the the contractual agreement? I mean, I don't think so personally, but like some people might think, Uh, what do you think, or the end goal? Is it focusing on the end goal or the journey? What what would you focus on to make sure that um, the relationship is not only sustainable, but it started off on the right track? Mentor-mentee relationship. I think that both parties should be excited when they see on the calendar that they're going to have a chat, right? Like simple stuff, right? Like Occam's razor, right? Like the most basic stuff. And if that is the nature of the way both parties feel about the time they get to spend together, that's 85 plus percent of the way, right? Because at the end of the day, no one wants to waste their time. And if it's a pure, there's no commercial territory around it, pure mentorship. And again, there's there's also more of a, a commercial oriented mentorship program, and that has a different equation, but it's still relatively the same. You then aren't really keeping score, right? right. Um, I've got people in my network, I'm going to be having lunch actually with with a guy that I you know had mentored and but a company he was at that I was involved with and years have passed he and his wife have decided unbeknownst to me and my wife to settle down and here in Raleigh North Carolina which obviously is so exciting for all sorts of obvious reasons and he pings me and it's like oh my gosh like that's so awesome so we're gonna have lunch and both of our wives are gonna get to meet each other and when I think about having that lunch with him I, I'm like, on so many personal and professional levels, I'm excited, right? right? Now, can I spend every hour of every day mentoring and, and all? No, of course not. And are there other people I'd love to see and spend time with? Yes. But that's also what brings it back to this building public stuff, right? I've had a lot of people, humbly speaking, say things to me over the years about how much value my stuff has provided to them. And I, I don't know it. I don't see it. But sometimes I find out. And it means a ton to me. Right. So it's very rewarding. But yeah, I think it's just the way you feel about it. Right. That's kind of it. It should never feel like a burden. And if it does that, I'm not sure that that's probably not something y'all should continue because 
one side is is gonna they're gonna resent the other side or what have you, and then it's an ugly you know situation. So I guess that would be the I hope that's a helpful answer. And then um, just touching a little bit on top of that, when reaching out to a prospect, a mentor, an advisor, potential client, what what should you do to be able to stand out to this person? So I'll just assume, just in, to answer the question, let's say it's a prospective customer because that's right. the most universal, right? And I'm assuming it's a B2B environment, just again, contextualizing right. the audience, right? So a lot of common themes here, guys, right? So the first thing is do your homework, right? Mm-hmm. Respect this person, you know, and, and demonstrate the respect by figuring out what they're all about. Right. And if you're lucky, it's somebody that maybe has a, a pretty updated presence in these environments, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever. If they have a pretty decent distribution and content footprint, if you don't do that, imagine how they would feel. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's like, hey, there's all this content I've put out there. There's so many different ways for you to get to know me and to help me understand the the value of why we should be talking. If you can't do that. Well, then maybe you're playing a volume game and a transaction-oriented game from a sales and customer acquisition perspective. And hey, more power to you if that works for you. But if if the target is is pretty significant in terms of the value to you and, and their seniority and the, the all the you know, lifetime value type stuff, the more you can can be very specific with them and show them the respect they deserve by analyzing their footprint, by analyzing their company, by analyzing the intersection of those things with what you think you can do to help them, the more successful you will be. Because always keep in mind, when it comes to business, people like to talk about lots of different things. But in business, people tend to think about one thing often, which is what is in it for us. And if you don't answer that question and you're taking from, I want to take your time, I want to take your attention. I mean, why should they respond? What I mean, for early stage founders and people in communities that might not have access necessarily to people of, of a high profile, let's say, and, and might feel like, a, I don't know, imposter syndrome per, per yeah. se. What do you think the first step, like, for instance, if I'm trying to reach out to someone that's high profile and I feel like, well, this person is not going to listen to me, or what do I say? What do I provide this person? What do they have to gain out of the conversation with me? I'm, I'm feeling like I'm the only one asking something you you mentioned about what can you provide you obviously you've done your research on the person and so on but how how would you guide someone into properly introduce themselves and how they can find leverage within their own offering whatever that is at whatever level right like what what where should they start so first of all everybody's got imposter syndrome period full stop mm-hmm. right it never and it never ends i don't think because the only way it ends is if you just keep doing the same thing Right. Mm-hmm. So if you do the same thing, you're not gonna have imposter syndrome. Like I've made this deli sandwich 4,000 times. Like I know how to make, <laughs> okay, good for you, Alec. But like, you're not going to grow. Right. So you can't grow without, I don't think having a dimension of imposter syndrome because you're trying something a little bit beyond your comfort zone. Right. And so make it a habit. Right. And, and, and turn the anxiety and the anxiousness into excitement. Right. Be like, I don't know, give a shot. Right. Yeah. Who, who knows? Right. So I think you got to shoot your shot. And you have to do it with as much conviction as you can. But if you really come to the conclusion that there is absolutely no value whatsoever to the person you're reaching out to, you probably shouldn't reach out to them, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is that you have to keep in mind, there's lots of different ways that people find, you know, satisfaction in spending time with different people in business, right? It could be paying back, right? It could be paying it 
back. It's helping a young person figure out the things that they didn't know when they were that person's age, but they learned over time. And like, yeah, I'll spend 12 minutes talking to you, 15 minutes, like, go ahead, right? Or send me the questions in advance, like something like that. Simultaneously, never underestimate how much value you can provide without knowing how confident you should be, right? So don't think everybody, it's like the, don't buy into somebody's social media advertisement campaign for their personal life or the equivalent on LinkedIn and Twitter. We all don't have all the, I no means would I ever not want to talk to someone that's like, Hey, Alec, uh, I think you might be interested in this, this, and this, because in newsletter 14, 16, and seven, you kept right. touching on this topic, but there's actually something that I don't know that you're aware of, which is this, this, and this. And if you want to chat about it, I'm happy. And I would, I would respond immediately and be like, thank right. you. I would love to. Can you send me something to read beforehand? Because I'm one of those guys. Like I like to just consume stuff and then as opposed to walking through it. That's real- beautiful. That is amazing. Yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and um, once we finish this, I, we have some few news to share with you. Before we, we go, because I know we're taking a lot of your time, is what are some hot takes that you, you want to put out there? About anything. Anything. The, the, I, this thing I was reading on the plane, which will be in this micro essay, which this podcast goes out, you'll see, and it'll be in the, the newsletter. But you guys know that that saying, right, of, uh, and that people, I think, are throwing around now is like, insert name and description of, of title and role, right? That role will not be automated or displaced by AI, but that role likely will be automated and displaced by someone who uses AI, right? Which is a, a, a very clean, simple way to explain humans plus machines, right? So I think one of the very exciting near and long-term dimensions of all this generative AI stuff we've been hearing about the last nine to, to you know 11 months, coming up in 11 months, is this notion of democratized access to some serious horsepower, aka this description in, in, in Harvard Business Review of the citizen developer. So, and again, this might not be as exciting necessarily for, for some of the smaller business owners, because this is a little bit more so for the bigger companies. But again, maybe some folks are building low code, no code stuff within the, the auto ML and whatever the case may be. But that being said is, if you think about the idea of the bigger the company, the more intellectual capital resides in the people's heads, in the emails they send, in the, the presentations, the deck and all that, that good stuff. In addition, the more time they spend in meetings and, and preparing for meetings and documenting meetings and all these different things. And so we as humans, going back to solve your own problem, I think if you think about how many problems, right, not big problems, maybe small problems, but eventually if you add them up, they're big problems that the average person experiences in their day to day within the confines of their job. And sometimes, if not all the time, they elevate the, hey, it would be great if I didn't have to do this, this, and this, because I'm wasting like four hours a week on this. And like, is there a better way to do this? Right. And it's like, yeah, no, it's kind of the way it is. Like, you have to do it. And so we start adding all that stuff up. Where we are now and where we're going with generative AI native features, you know, so existing software, right, that's now generative AI enabled, let alone generative AI native, native original software, you're enabling people who are non-technical to be able to create applications on their own, right? Without any dimension of programmer involved. That is a very powerful hot take, I hope. If you think about the implications 
of how quickly you could go from an IT function 1.0 to an IT 2.0, which is a hybrid of people that are doing the jobs on the front lines, right, that are then able to solve their own problem with tools that IT puts in their possession to do stuff and not have to get an engineer involved because engineers are very, very time constrained. <laughs> and expensive, yeah. <laughs> you said it. And, and so imagine where this could go. And so they profiled AT&T in particular, and they described millions of minutes that have been saved and taken out of, of, of the human dimension by these citizen developers because they're able to automate or create systems that do these things hundreds of millions of dollars of savings. And the reason I bring this up to bring it all the way back to some folks that maybe are more so in the small business side of things is never underestimate the power of using democratized access to that kind of horsepower to improve your internal process or processes and also drive innovation, right? And, and, and create velocity in that innovation kind of value chain that you might have had to pay a consultant. Consultants are great. I, I was one. But maybe you don't want to have to pay that consultant $25,000 for that project. That's a, that's a lot of money. And maybe now you can use tools that all in cost about $250 and just some of, some of your people's time, right? Or, yeah, or you might be using AI to build the initial iteration and get a consultant at a point where you need it, right? Like, exactly, right? Bottoms up. And so I think those two hot takes are as relevant in my mind today um, to both the big corporates, more of the folks I tend to work with, as well as the, the rock star founders and small business owners, because both ends of the spectrum now have access to low-code, no-code tools that are beyond powerful. And historically, you know, the, the size of the business dictated the, the IT budget, which dictated how sophisticated the, the tech stack. That's mm -hmm. that equation is starting to change very quickly, which goes into what some people are talking about with there are no more moats, which I'm sure yeah. you guys have heard about and, and some of the folks listening probably have. And so, yeah, it's an exciting time, but it's wild what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months as all of this opportunity is unleashed. This is so beautiful, Alec. We, we are so thankful, one, for your time. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for, for you know, being part of our journey from day one. Like I said earlier, you were the first person we talked to, finished talking to you. We had this energy, burst mm -hmm. of energy. And I think this is the same sort of energy that we've gotten from this podcast as you being the first person we had the opportunity to interview. And so as you are about to take off, one of the questions I want to ask you is, and we're going to make this a ritual as part of our podcast is nice. before you leave, what topic should we discuss with our next guest? Mm, I love that. And I love the ritual stuff. I'm trying to think. I think the next topic to discuss would be, I think you, you, you might benefit by asking someone to make a prediction, mm. but not one of these like long predictions that are way out there, right? Mm. But have them make a prediction that has some sort of constraint, like mm. 90 days time or, or mm. maybe six months or what have you. You can actualize it. Right. Yeah. And see what happens. Right. Because we'll we'll, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it brings it back. And, and that way you can stay connected on stuff like that. That's really wonderful. We will save one for you in the future. We'll we'll ask you predictions. <laughs> you have time to prepare for it. Well, thank you so much. I like I mean, like Gomi was saying um, and you mentioned about wanting to look forward to meeting with people is a good yeah. sign. Well, we're definitely we were looking forward to this meeting and we're 
uh, excited for what the future brings and looking forward for many more of these conversations, very insightful in many ways. And we will share your information as well uh, for your mm -hmm. LinkedIn and your, uh, your newsletter as well, Twitter as well, obviously, because you mentioned about it uh, to make sure that people can know where to find you and uh, great stuff and great, uh, definitely great articles, very short. So it's not taking your old day, but uh, people that want to know about AI, definitely look it up. Um, there's a lot of really good nuggets in there. So uh, thank you again for your time.